This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Handy. Handy is a website where you can book top-rated home cleaners and handymen at your doorstep. Uh, so I know there's been uh, a lot of controversy with uh, Steve Bannon speaking at the Handy Festival for Thoughts and Ideas, and a lot of people have asked me to drop them as a sponsor. Uh, I've been a lot of tweets about that, but uh, I hey, I believe in the product, and I'm going to stick with them. You know, maybe... You know, maybe he'll surprise you. Maybe Ben will surprise you. Um, he'll say something smart. Um, so uh, with that out of the way, I'm going to continue the ad read. So how does Handy work? Well, Handy has experienced and background check professionals that you can book with their online interface that has easy payment and rescheduling options. And Handy will not reschedule Steve Bannon. They put that in the ad read. They're kind of pushing that uh, on all fronts, all podcast fronts. Uh Steve's going to be speaking for four hours on how Wario should run the Green Party ticket in 2020. Uh, And, you know, they're going to live stream it on uh, all your favorite sites. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe you'll you'll like it. Uh, So with Handy, you can request your favorite professionals, and they can do everything. Furniture assembly, interior painting, hanging pictures, pretend to be an intellectual, but actually be a very stupid fascist. You name it, they can do it. So book a clear today by going to borderguide.com slash handy. That's borderguide.com slash handy. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support the show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support artist button to shop on Amazon in Earlywood. We get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Caitlin Bitsagai, who's done improv, sketch, and characters ECB, taught sketch for a while, and was a writer on the rundown to Robin Thede unfairly canceled if you ask me a lot of weird cancellations in late night right the michelle wolf show robin Thede. i don't i don't like it um but uh it's a fun episode to record with caitlin and i think you'll really like it so here is caitlin bits a guy caitlin thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me uh where are you from originally I am originally from New Albany, Indiana, which oh. gets almost no response when said. Yeah, New Albany. <laughs> yes, it is the New Albany. It is people sometimes jokingly ask, like Albany, New York, and yes, exactly like Albany, New yeah. York. The founders of the town were from Albany, New York. Oh, and they just like went to Indiana. Yeah, and they were like, we, they we, were just we, like, we nailed it the first time. Yeah, let's have more of that. Interesting, because you always hear with the with like the new city, it's like the England. Mm-hmm. Well, like, yeah, on the East Coast, yeah. And so yeah, that's yeah, cool yeah. that it was like an American version of that. Yeah. That's and interesting. Yeah. Oh, was that a cool place to grow up? You know, it was like very uh, normal. If, like as based on what normal is according to like TV. Like it was yeah. suburb slash small town, uh, you know, white person land. Yeah. <laughs> so if you turn on like a teen drama from the 90s, that's like what we looked like. <laughs> Uh, were you like interested in comedy at all when you were growing up? I loved comedy. I didn't really do it. Like I didn't. I wasn't really a performer growing up, and we didn't have. You know, now kids take like improv classes and all this stuff. We didn't mm. have any of that. So yeah, I was just watching a lot and like quoting it with my friends and brother, like SNL and you know Caddyshack and stuff like that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I forget Caddyshack is a movie I always forget about. Yeah, I. Well, it's like we had like four tapes, you know, and yeah. we would just watch those over and over. Yeah. So you, were you like doing like any sort of like uh, performance stuff growing up at all? Off and on, but I was never yeah. dedicated to it. I was never like the theater kid. Yeah, yeah. I think that world was sort of intimidating to me, actually. Mm. Just the whole like intensity of your average kid that was really into drama. Yeah. Because they, yeah, theater kids are super into theater. Yes. More than, like, people are into other stuff, I feel yes, like. Yes, especially at that age. And I think it's great. Looking back, I can see where that offered for, like, a certain type of kid. Like, acceptance and, like, here's our group. But it also was, like, clicky and, like, felt yeah difficult to penetrate. Or just to, like, I mean, and also I was really interested in comedy. Like, I wasn't, like, I really want to be... Desdemona and Othello like that's my dream whereas 
for those theater kids, they liked. Also, they could sing. That singing is a big part of theater when yeah. you're growing up, and I can't sing in a in musical in no way. So I think that was another barrier to entry. I, I did like a little bit of theater, and like whenever there was breaks, someone would just like start playing on the piano, and people would start singing. And yeah. I was like, "What is this world I'm in?" Now? Yeah, exactly, <clears throat> exactly. It's strange, theater kids. You know, God bless them. God bless them. They're out there. Um, when you were looking for colleges, did you know like what you wanted to do? Not really at all. Uh, like, that's most of my life story until I was about 25, was just like another random decision was made. Um, mm-hmm. I went to Indiana University, which is two hours from where I grew up. Uh, I, it actually has a great theater program mm-hmm. and has um, Mick Napier went to IU, who uh, oh, yeah, founded yeah. The Annoyance. So there's like actually a lot of improvisers, especially of that generation, that went to IU. I was not aware of that. They're older than me. But, um, I I was talking about this the other day of like people talking about college as like the golden years. And I had so much fun in college, but I just sat around. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, I, I thought I was kind of academic, but I really wasn't. Like I would get into certain classes and then other things just sort of <laughs> skate by. Mostly just sitting around a dorm. But that was great. That was kind of like um, in a weird way proto like ucb life because it was just people sitting around doing bits yeah (laughs) (laughs) we just also had no output of any kind (laughs) it is weird because college is like kind of like this uh almost like heaven when you think about it like you have this like you're with surrounded by like a ton of people you're like uh doing like just all you're supposed to do is like academic excellence i guess Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you have like a ton of free time a ton of free time. And, you know, you just kind of, you know, you don't really use those opportunities as much as you probably should have. Yeah, and you live with all your friends. You don't have to schedule anything, really. Yeah. I mean, you do, but, like, just naturally you're around people. And, like, the frustrations of adult life where it's like, when are we? When can we get together, you know? Yeah, It just yeah. doesn't exist. Like, that yeah. was never a drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, when you were in college, what did you major? I majored in English, like, just because I was like, that's, I like reading the books that are assigned. Mm-hmm. So did you plan on like becoming like doing anything with that at first? I was I wanted to be a professor of English, but again, that was just sort of like not something I really actively wanted as much as just like, well, I'm here, I'll just do the other thing I see an adult doing, you know? Yeah. Um, I always think it's like when you see like like little kids, like maybe four years old. And one of their toys is pushing a tinier stroller. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that always makes me laugh because it's like that only occurs to them because they ride around yeah. in strollers. So they, in their mind, it's like, well, what's the other fun thing to do? Push a stroller, I guess. <laughs> and I think that's like was my mentality for about 25 years. It's like, well, I'll just be the um, the other person in this room. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't like a ton of thought to that. But that's actually what brought me out to the East Coast is I did, I started uh, a graduate program in English at Rutgers in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and so, uh, so you were you were planning on becoming a teacher then? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's like yeah. that's like the big step, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. So, what made you uh, stop that? I guess basically, I was pretty bad at grad school. Um, <laughs> unlike college, where you can just sit around, you kind of have to do all the work, and it's very hard. <laughs> and oddly enough, um, a classmate. Uh, had was taking classes at UCB. Mm-hmm. So he kept trying to organize people going into... We lived in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is like 45 minutes away. Uh, he was trying to organize people to go to Manhattan to see a show. And I was always looking for things to do because I was really in grad school thinking, again, it's like college too, which <laughs> is not the case. Um, and I went with him to UCB. We saw the improv group Mother. Um, oh. And I just was like... Oh, I should probably do this. Um, I should probably be here, or I should probably try to make it or think about something in my life. Again, honestly, now saying that aloud, again, I just was brought into another room and was like, I'll stay in this room. (laughs) But it was a big change nonetheless, and it took probably still, like, I'm going to guess, like, nine more months before I took that class. Like, a lot of, like, mentally, like, okay, you can sign up for this class. It doesn't... You know, it might not work. That's okay. Right. You know, that sort of thing. So what, what, what did stop you from, like, signing up immediately? I think just giving myself permission to do it. And yeah. I ended up, you know, they, they're expensive. And I think I ended up asking 
for the first class for my birthday from my parents. Yeah, yeah. So I, while that was like a reasonable reason to wait, I also think it was a little bit of me just pumping the brakes on it. Like, well, I'll wait till my birthday. Then it'll be, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Who was uh, your first teacher? Betsy Stover. Okay. Yeah. She was awesome. Did you immediately like, like the classes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I felt very comfortable at the UCB training center, like immediately. Um, and I started, I took improv and then I took sketch and was just taking classes. Yeah. A lot. And at the time, uh, sketch wasn't like as, as big as improv. No, no, for sure not. And really only 101 and they had sketch 101 very regularly as they do now. And even sketch 201 wasn't that regular. And then beyond that, sometimes it would be like, oh, so-and-so wants to teach a class. So they randomly might call it 301 or Uh a different class, but it wasn't as structured as I mean, they're both more structured now, but yeah, yeah. but it wasn't as structured as improv at the time. And, and were were mod teams around when you were? No. Oh, so that's like no. So there's very like little sketch actually happening. Yeah, I mean, um, there was um, buffoons was Charlie Sanders, Bobby Moynihan, and Eugene Cordero would do okay. shows, but it would be more like that. Like people would form their own shows. There weren't house teams for sketch. So w- when you were like. Doing improv, obviously there's a lot of shows, there's a lot of jams and stuff, but how would you like do sketch stuff back then? Really just like writing by myself. Um, And then I met uh, Sarah Chase from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, not at the time. Uh, She was in my Sketch 101 and we liked each other and we would like write together and like put some stuff up around, but it was very sort of haphazard. (laughs) (laughs) And then you later got on to uh, Mod Night, mm-hmm, I guess mm-hmm. after it was formed and started. Yes, yes. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen? Um, so I was, there was a first iteration where Mod teams were just six writers and they would like cast from the UCB community at large. Uh, I actually have no idea how they did this logistically. Yeah. It seems impossible. I, I had Anthony King on the podcast <laughs> and he talked about that and he said it was like absurd. How yeah, it... I think it's nuts, but I wasn't on that version. I was on the next version, which is sort of like... You can call that sort of the first generation. It's sort of like 1.5, but mm-hmm. um, I was on Stone Cold Fox. And yeah, it was it was great. I just submitted a packet. There were three sketches. I am certain one had Tila Tequila in it, so that's yeah. dating me <laughs> big time. Um, because now she's very ill and you wouldn't make fun of her, and she's not relevant. <laughs> right, yeah. She she became a, uh, a Republican. Yeah, yeah, she's really racist now, but I think... I also don't think she's totally there. Yeah, I but it, I think that is the turn, though, for reality stars. Is yeah. That, like, you now just go become a Republican. Yeah, I mean, it might keep some sort of audience for her, yeah. like, hot girl saying racist stuff. Yeah. There's an audience for that, sure. Yeah, for sure. sure. Uh, so Stone Cold Fox, they were, uh, that was, like, one of the big mod teams at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Stone Cold Fox remained a team for, I want to say, six years. Oh, wow. I wasn't on it the whole time. I was on it for about two years and I directed Stone Cold Fox for another year after that. And then they were on Friday nights, I believe they were moved to Friday nights and I maybe directed one of those shows, but yeah. Yeah. It was a Darcy Carden, uh, Fran Gillespie was on it. Sean oh, Clemens, wow. Joe Spellman, Jonathan Fernandez, uh, a lot of great people that yeah. I'm not mentioning because eventually there probably were over like 20 members because of people coming and going oh yeah so what's something you learn from doing mod night that you did like don't get in your classes to be honest you just kind of have to take the notes yeah like that sounds silly but you don't i mean i always think it's funny when i'm teaching a sketch class and if anyone sort of especially if it's like 101 because if someone sort of fights the notes it's like you don't have to take the notes I never know if you do. <laughs> we do one rewrite. I never know if you do them or not, you know? Um, on Mod Night, you have to take the notes so you really do see your sketch grow and change. Almost always for the better. Um, and, you know, sometimes it gets weird and you're like, oh, this isn't what I wanted it to be. But it mm-hmm. did change and it's it's interesting. And also, just learning to write for the way an actor speaks. A specific actor, perhaps, but also just any actor like there's just lines that i'll read in a 101 student even if it's a very funny game i'm like oh this person will never be able to say these words in that way right. you're writing prose oh i see you know so you you're mean, kind like, of writing okay. too too complicated um and you can tell actually it is i think a good sign um of a well-written sketch that an actor can memorize it faster mm. 
I think that if you, you know, and we all have our bugaboos when we're memorizing and sometimes you just can't memorize something for whatever reason. But you'll notice if there's a certain type of sketch that they just can't get, it, it might be in the writing. Interesting. Yeah. What, like, what is the, uh, what is like, what is that specific thing that you think it is? I think a few things. I think if the, um, line doesn't respond to the last line said, that's hard. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think just sometimes lines being too long, not natural to whatever that character is. Um, sometimes I think, you know, this is obviously just sort of bad writing, but forced punchlines, I think get a little, um, or like side jokes as we uh, might call them. Um, I think actors are shy to want to deliver like a kind of corny line. I mean, I guess that seems yeah. obvious, but I think literally sometimes your brain doesn't take it in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned teaching uh, sketch at UCB. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned 101. Do 101 people like resist notes more? Not really, yeah. honestly. It, it is actually every sketch teacher that I've trained's like number one fear is that people are fighting them all the time. Mm-hmm. And it actually pretty rarely happens. Um, if anything, a defensive person will tend to just not interact with you that much. They won't right. they won't like engage, but they won't usually say I disagree. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, but I think people come in knowing that this is like what a class is else you could just be writing by yourself so most people get it what are like the the pitfalls you see like in sketch students um let's see i think just not seeing enough sketch honestly because sometimes because that can haunt uh someone that's naturally good or not naturally good because even if you're naturally good and you're doing ideas that are out there already it doesn't matter and it doesn't really matter for your sketch 101 class if you end up accidentally writing mom jeans and you've never seen that sketch no harm no foul you're probably not going to produce it anyway but i think that like keeping your ideas original it just helps to know what's at the theaters around new york city but just also what's going on and what has gone on like right sketch isn't the biggest like like there's not the widest breadth of material for that art form compared to others you could almost watch every sketch like oh yeah you actually could if you i mean i certainly haven't but like if you made that a project you could watch like every sketch produced for television ever you really could you couldn't do that for every half hour that's Um, interesting i guess yeah you probably could i mean if you made it a project you could do it um so that's a, there's like not really a great excuse to not be up on what's going on. Um, I think sometimes game is confused with making a point, and usually the point is oh. is like something sort of tedious. Like I don't think the Kardashian should be famous, and that's kind of the point of the sketch. And it's like, well, I don't care. <laughs> you know, you have to have a game out of that. That's interesting. Yeah. I never thought about it like that because, uh, yeah. I guess, well, yeah, if you don't have a game, you don't have a sketch. Yeah, there's just nothing interesting about it. Yeah. Um, and again, then your point has to be super original. And, you know, how many of us have super original points to make in right. four pages? <laughs> uh, so uh, what to you makes like a good mod night sketch? I think um, written for actors less i mean you with a video sketch for instance you can get away with it just sort of being premisey and mm-hmm. it's sort of just being like here's my idea laid out in three beats um i think for mod night it really needs to be four actors it's great if it can be for the actors that are on your team um i think that Something, I mean, I think something that connects to the audience, as far as Mod Night, I mean, we have a sort of specific audience. It's it's probably mostly people 20 to 30 years old, 35 maybe, taking sketch classes. So that's like a certain type. And I think something that resonates with them, but they don't know that it resonates with them yet, is a really cool thing mm-hmm. to see. Um, I directed for Pretty Boys a sketch. Um, what do we actually call the sketch? Don't remember. Written by Molly Khan, but it was about a Spanish teacher going into labor while she's teaching Spanish and she wants the whole class to continue to speak Spanish. (laughs) And there's something so fulfilling about directing that sketch because just going over the minutia of like Spanish class stuff is really what I think the audience, why the audience loved it. It's like, oh, I forgot about that from Spanish class. And what if this was in this, you know, 
um, hyper dramatic situation. Mm-hmm. I think that stuff is really fulfilling. It's like on uh, on Twitter when you see like uh, like the like the tweets with like two hundred thousand yeah. likes. It's like those are like always usually very small like uh-huh. things that people remember. Yeah, it's like something from the back of your own mind. Yeah. you're like, oh yeah, I do think that. <laughs> Which is uh, like the hardest thing to probably think of yes. for sketches. Yes, I think it is. I think it is. Um, what's your favorite uh, sketch you ever did on Mod Night? On Mod Night, um, the one that comes to mind, and this was maybe my third or fourth month writing for Mod Night. This was a very long time ago. Um, it, we just called it breakfast at Tiffany's. It didn't, we never had clever names for these things yeah. ever, which is funny on day one of sketch one one. They're like, think of a clever name. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I never have done that ever. <laughs> um, and it was just sort of a weird game of friends revealing to each other what they think about when they hear the song breakfast at Tiffany's. And then you would see it played out on the other side of the mm-hmm. stage. And it's totally bizarre. <laughs> Um, but that they all kind of admit to each other that they do this thing of having certain fantasies when you hear a certain song, in this case, Breakfast at Tiffany's by, is it by Deep Blue something, I want to say? Um, so that one was, that one had that thing of people telling me afterwards, like, I think about that song weirdly too. And just <laughs> had that really fulfilling. How does that song go again? It's like. And I said, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And remember how I said I couldn't sing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Um, that one stands out as just being like very fun creatively as in like, I thought this was only me, but then it, then the team responded and then the audience responded. It's sort of in that order. Uh, and so then you're also on a character's welcome. Yes. Are you still on that now? I am not right now. Yeah. Uh, what made you want to do that? You know, I had just been getting more into character work and partly just to do the auditions to push myself. Um, so I auditioned once, um, and had to like write all the characters and everything. And it's interesting, like when you've been around UCB a long time, there's different, there's like always different intimidating things going on. Um, like I think when you're new, the obvious thing is you're new and that's intimidating and no one knows you and, and how am I going to break in? What are people going to think of me? Mm-hmm. And then there's the other thing where like you have been around and people do think of you as a certain way. And I know people don't think of me as much as a performer and that makes sense. I am pursuing writing more, but I was like, but I could do this maybe. Um, so just doing the audition was per se intimidating because it was seeing people I've known for minimum five years, probably some of them 10, uh, and having no idea of like, are they going to react to me weirdly doing this? Um, so I auditioned. The audition went well. I did not get on that time. And then I kind of just been working on characters around the city and stuff over that six months, eight months, whatever it was. And then I auditioned again. Um, and I got on. But the funny thing about the second audition was that I um, had this like weird eye infection. So <laughs> I was crying the whole time. But apparently they didn't notice. I asked later, I was like, did you think it was a weird character choice that every character was crying? And not like crying, like I wasn't making crying sounds. It literally just tears will come out, would come out of my eyes, Whoa. like gushing. Like I could feel one <laughs> fall on the ground while I was doing wow. my audition. It was so bizarre. But apparently made no effect or they thought it was a great choice. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just like a challenge for me to write some, I, I've, performed and I've written but I actually haven't performed a lot of my own writing I think sometimes because I find it hard to be like well the writing is done now it's time to work on the performance Interesting. to wear both hats at once is difficult so I wanted to do that more and I definitely think uh I improved in that regard doing it. it was it was super fun the six months that I did it. it was awesome how do you uh balance your career with like writing and performing I mean you don't <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whenever I have a full-time job, I find these things kind of fall to the wayside. And then um, whenever I'm either freelancing or just straight up unemployed, uh, I do more stuff at the theater. It it is hard, though. I mean, I I admire our (laughs) group, like, of of people pursuing comedy. Um, That sounds obvious and or self-congratulatory, but um, it's hard. Mm -hmm. You're You're just working a lot. And I remember... Like five years ago, I don't know when it was exactly, um, Lila Cohen Michio, who was also on Stone Cold Fox, and I wrote a Bachelor parody 
that uh, ran at the theater for a long time. And our show was actually featured on the cover of the Arts and Leisure section of the New York Times. So it was like really fun, really cool. And it was a really exciting time. And I remember we had a 9.30 show. And um, Nicole Byer was in the show. Jocelyn DeBoer was in the show. Kate Zielinski, Morgan Grace Jarrett, Cody, and Cody Lindquist, and um, Justin Tyler and Tim Dunn. And I remember we had this 9.30 show. We all had this such exciting news like in the New York Times. And then we all, at like 10.30, had to go do something else. Like we had a performance, a tech, a rehearsal. I was like, this is hard. <laughs> We're all really doing it here. <laughs> I just remember being like, wow, that's insane. But we're all going to do it. Uh, what was your Bachelor show like? Oh, it was super fun. It was just like um, – the it was like down to five women and talking about like the conceits of the show. Tim Dunn played Chris Harrison, the host, and mm-hmm. Justin Tyler played The Bachelor. Um, and like – there's been so much bachelor humor now, but I really think yeah. we were one of the first shows to sort of do it. And it was, it was really fun. And that was another one where, especially after the New York times piece came out, I definitely saw some women that I'm kind of clocked as I think not being UCB regulars, but wanted to see like a bachelor thing. Yeah, yeah. And that was fun to see them react to the show. When you do like a, a pop culture parody, especially something like the bachelor, uh, how do you like, I guess, mind the humor in that without being maybe rude or something. Mm-hmm. I mean. Well, I think because we, I actually don't even watch the show anymore, but at the yeah. time we just loved The Bachelor so much. Like it mm-hmm. really came, yes, we were making fun of them, but like we loved it and we knew it. And I think that's another thing as far as sketch writing. Like if you write a parody of something you don't know, it comes across that way that you don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Like so many people have pitched to me like, what if, like, the Real Housewives were poor? And I'm like, that happens all the time on those shows, that they lose <laughs> their money and go bankrupt. Like, that is a constant theme of the show. You've just never seen the show and you don't know what it is. That really happens? Oh, yeah. All the time they go bankrupt. Oh, that must be so rough for them to be filmed while that's happening. Yes. It's a rough show. But it's like, <laughs> because the original conceit of the show is, like, these rich women, people just think that's what the show is. But, like, right. the show has, like, eight cities and has been on for, like, a hundred years. Like, right. <laughs> there's ones that have done everything you can imagine. <laughs> But yeah, people do tend to write uh, parodies about stuff they don't like. And it's it's doesn't if you don't like it, you have to like be a hate watcher of it at least. Yeah, you, you have to know it. So when you're doing characters, what's like your process for coming up with characters? Yeah, it's usually um, often it's like kind of overhearing half of something someone said. Interesting, and it kind of sticks in my brain as far as like what else they could be. Um, I'm trying to think of, I just recently did a spank, like a tryout show at UCB. And I'm trying to think for those characters, what was it in each of them that grabbed me? Well, one I did, actually, sometimes they're more premise driven. I do, um, I don't know if you remember, and this is the second, uh, like 1990s song I've referenced, which I can't believe it's only been two. Um, but, uh, Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. Oh, that's early 2000s. Yeah. Oh, you know, long 90s. <laughs> um, but that song, I think I heard and I was like, this song is pretty mean to the other girl. Right, yeah. And so I just was like, what is that other girl thinking? So I do that character. Yeah. Um, some things I approach like that. There's like, what if, are those like a pop culture ones or like a lot of fun? You like you dive and like you'd go like the, the created person, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's always a fun sketch in that no matter what. I, I totally agree. I love that kind of stuff. Um, there was this girl that kept saying, I was at this bar and she kept saying, Prius says the light rail leaves in 10 minutes. She kept saying this to her friends. <laughs> like, she wanted to leave, obviously. Like, that was my take on the characters. Like, she just wants to leave. I don't know who Priya is in their friend group, but yeah. clearly someone she thinks is an authority. And she keeps just saying, Priya says the light rail leaves in 10 minutes. <laughs> and I just feel like I could know that girl from that. Like, wants to exert influence over her friends, but, like, nervously cannot. Right. <laughs> um, stuff like that. So it's a lot of just, like... I guess it's kind of like the what people say, like you have to live a life to yeah. have material. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I know Michael Harney always says, like, take your earbuds out and stop listening to, like, podcasts. Not this one. Keep listening to this one. After <laughs> this one, end it. But I actually never do that. I'm such a – I walk around with plugs in my ears at all times. But anytime, yeah, you hear these snippets that you're like, what is your life? <laughs> Why are you doing that? 
What would you say are like the the hallmarks of like a good character sketch? I think that it needs to. Um, I think you have to sympathize for that character in, in some ways, especially if it's one person performance. You can kind of get away in a multiple person sketch with one person just truly being like a character everyone hates mm-hmm. um, because the audience has the window character of the straight man or other characters in the scene. But it's interesting solo performance. The audience has to kind of laugh at this character, but they also you're their only gateway into what is happening. So there sort of has to be sympathy for this character or like something relatable about them. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of like, um, I guess, you know, in Mad Men, everyone loves Don. Yeah. You're not supposed to, but right. you're supposed to have the, like the, right. some sort of empathy, I guess, yes. for him. Yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, so you you work on the rundown of Robin Thede now. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, how did that job happen? Oh, it was uh, Robin Thede? Thede, yeah. I was, I was, yeah. It's a confusing one. It's like it's like German. So it could be Thede, it could be Thede, Thede, yeah. yes, Thede. Um, that happened uh, just through submitting, through um, my manager and agent, I submitted a packet, which I, I believe was like a bunch of monologue jokes, a pitch for like um, a, a pitch for a segment, and a sketch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 And and do you have you had you been regularly submitting packets to like other jobs? Yes, at that point, yeah, yeah, I had. And but that one came about pretty quickly. Like I feel like I submitted and. Like two days later, maybe I knew I had an interview, which oh, is wow. weird. Um, then I interviewed, and then I like got it that day. How do you how do you approach like writing a packet? <laughs> I, to be blunt, it depends on how much I want the job. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely still phoned in some packets where I'll kind of use older material that I mm-hmm. sort of like halfway jam in. I will say the the thing with the rundown is I did want the job, and I watched all the episodes. They already had episodes that were running. Mm. The hardest ones are when there's, you know, it's for a pilot or it's for a show you've never seen. Even if you're familiar with the person they're building the show around, you can only kind of guess as far as what their tone is. To me, I find myself putting less effort into those because <laughs> the truth is I don't know what they want and they don't know what they want. Right. Um, so either for those, I will honestly put in less effort or I will be like, no, I really like this person, so I would want to write for them. I'm going to do something very my voice, very weird, and we'll see if it resonates mm. with them. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Because you can't – You for the rundown, I could be like, okay, I'm going to try to write these rundown jokes. If it had just been – if I had been submitting for the pilot, I'd be like, well, I could watch Robin Thede's stuff on other shows and just kind of guess. And that's right. all you can do. Um, it's kind of a crazy uh, thing to do to get a job. It's insane. Yeah. And they vary widely. Some are like basically write an episode of this show and some are give us your 10 ideas. And that, to be honest, I kind of hate the latter, even though it seems easier because it's just less specific. Right. Um, I have a pretty good ear for voices and can kind of mimic that kind of stuff. So it's to my advantage if it's something where it's like write an episode of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, I am more likely to get an interviewer job off of that. I know people have been pretty, it's been pretty controversial lately with packets mm-hmm. uh, because I guess, you know, WGA is like cracking down on a lot of mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. some of the shows do just ask you to like write an episode, like a full, ep- like a research and do a full episode, which is like insane. The research particularly, I think is a big ask. Um, yeah. And that's not something you'll be doing on the show. They'll be right. paid researchers. So it's a little odd that they would have you try to... Um, be good at that when that's not even going to be your job. Um, there was one I did recently that had a big research packet attached and it still took a lot of time to just read through it, but they had done it for you. Um, it is strange that all these comedy jobs are now like also like you're just like doing work, like homework. Yes, totally. And I, I think we're in a glut of that. I think that like you had the daily show. It's probably been like, one of the most influential shows the last 25 years. And then the Colbert Report was fantastic, huge success. And then now there's a lot of political shows. Yeah. And I think of a varying quality and of I'm probably will I think also after Trump, people are like political comedy is going to be where it's at when in fact it's like harder than ever. Right. And um, I think people are a little maxed out on it from a viewer's point of view. I know I hear some people be like, I, I DVR all of them. I love all of them. Like that's awesome. But 
wow, it's a lot of comedy news to be taken in. It is interesting to think if whether like people want it and then that's why they're being made or if they're being made so people are just like taking it, you know? Totally. Yeah. I don't know and which I, was which. Uh, yeah. Chicken and egg for sure. Yeah. But um, it, it is interesting. Um, especially now and now more things I'm just hearing through like deadline or whatever. Like so-and-so is getting a show and they are doing a political show and you're like, what? That guy? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, everyone has to like pivot to political. Yeah, and it's like that guy's like a you know, it'd be like Carrot Top's gonna have like a <laughs> hard hitting political show soon. It's just it's it's getting a little one note, and I think comedy jobs are getting a little like being a librarian. Some, but I think it's just a trend, and it'll it'll you know the, the right. great ones will stick around, and a new trend will mm-hmm. arise. So you mentioned uh, you had to interview for the show. Mm-hmm. What's like your thought process when you go in for like an interview for like a writing job? It's hard. I actually kind of just remind myself that this is a performance and that you have to be on. And you have to, like, for, I think, different shows, if there's some relevant um, experience you have or people you've worked with that you want them to know, you have to find a way to say it. They may or may not ask something that leads you into it, and they may or may not know anything about your resume. Oh, really? Um. And the Robin Thede interview was pretty um, – it was with four people, and they all, I think, had read my packet and all had, like, looked at my resume. So they were all, like, coming into it very informed, uh, which is both cool and intimidating. Yeah. But um, sometimes you walk in and they, like, straight up don't know what, like, the shows you've worked on are or, like – it's so you have to, I think, remember to, like, mention a few things. I think – I mean, different things might work for different people. I can't play it cool. I'm not a cool person. I don't play things cool. I'm, like, honest about, like, yeah, I'd love to do this. I want to work here. I think for someone else, maybe it's like, yeah, I'm busy. Maybe that works. Uh, For me, I put it out there that I, you know, want to do this, and this would be important to me. Um, I've heard that that's, like, a number one thing to do is to, like, make sure – you say like I want this job, yeah, which is which is it weird to sense, me because I think like if yeah. you're in the interview, they kind of know you want the job anyway. But. It is funny, but I I can understand where that gets lost. Um, I, I I get it, yeah. yeah. It's because it's an intimidating situation, so you could just be nervous. You might you might be yeah. the one that wants it the most, but if you're nervous, it can come off like oh she was, you know, held back or whatever. Right. I think just letting them know, especially for the Robin Thede situation where I was coming in halfway through the first season. Letting them know that you're going to be comfortable. They're not going to have to do work to bring you out of your shell because that's not work they need. You know, like even if that's not natural to you, if you're not a natural extrovert, I think you just got to be like, I'm on the clock a little bit during Mm -hmm. this interview. Um, And I think don't be afraid to be funny. Um, Yeah. And just having a performance background like help you a lot for that? I think so. But I I think that someone that's, that's, purely a writer can still find their avenue to do it mm-hmm. um but it might just take some some thinking about and practicing mm-hmm. uh and this was your first television writing job it was um what? it was the first like late night show late yeah, night that show. I did, yeah uh how was that like transition into that job this job was very intense it was it was super fun the people that i worked with were fantastic but it was um and especially like working in the winter in New York, like you're inside during All the right. light hours. So it's like you become this person that never sees sunlight. <laughs> um, we also worked in the uh, 555 West 57th building, which is where a lot of shows write, which is uh, Sam B's there, John Oliver, probably some other things I'm, that are moving in and out that I don't even know of, which is kind of cool. Like it sort of felt like a campus of like comedy shows, right. um, which was neat. Um the schedule was intense. Actually, I don't think ours was that crazy as far as take homework, which I enjoyed that we didn't have like a lot of true homework. But when we were there, we were very on from sometimes there at eight to eight, or you know sometimes nine to seven or something. But mm-hmm. it felt like whatever the hours were, you were very on all the time. What's a, what's like a typical day like at that show? So it would depend on what day it is and what your particular assignment was. Um, the way the rundown works is there were um, a monologue, always called the rundown within the rundown. Um, then there was an act two, which is like a deeper dive into a particular topic. Like I wrote one about a quota, like arrest oh, right. and stuff like that. 
Um, and act three could be a lot of different things. It could be like a musical performance. It could be a sketch. It could be a documentary piece. I was actually never that involved in act three. And then act four is like kind of a button, like a fun thing. Um, so if you were working on act two, if you were act two was going to be taped that Thursday, probably if I remember correctly, Monday and Tuesday, you were just kind of working on that by yourself. If not Monday and Tuesday, we would talk about what stories would go into the monologue and people would get assigned those. And then like, depends on what your particular thing was, but you'd have a do time, like one thirty or something. Mm-hmm. And then Robin and the head writer, Lauren Ashley Smith would read it. And then they would give you notes, you go back and forth. So it just depends on what your particular assignment was that week. But it all, it almost always involved like a daily check-in with mm-hmm. Robin and the, the head writer um, as far as how the piece was going. So you mentioned you wrote uh, a piece about quotas. Yes. What's like, how do you like even get started with that? Like in terms of. You know, that was someone else's pitch. It was not my original pitch. It was based on a story of 12 um, police officers, uh, all of whom were people of color who sort of blew the whistle on the fact that they are asked to do these quotas, even Mm -hmm. though they're not supposed to. So then you're assigned a researcher and they will kind of help you figure out what the story was. What are the best, the heart, the, the biggest like learning curve for this particular show was the um, learning to write off what we call sots, which are clips within the story, which um, is, is something that's done a lot, like on the daily show or, or a million other things. But um, I never really thought about how much those are a part of the fabric of those shows. And especially for our show, they were very much the fabric of the show. So those sots would sort of tell the story of like, here's what happened. And then it was up to us to write the jokes with Robin for Robin um, coming in and out of them. Mm-hmm. Cause Robin was, was pretty clear that she didn't want to tell the story the the sots should tell the story and she should do the jokes, which I totally agree with. No mm-hmm. one wants to hear like a long explanation from a comedian. Um, and it gives credence to what you're talking about. If you see, you know, um, Anderson Cooper saying this was the story right. and then you make a joke. And so with with those, you have to, like, make a joke, like, basically on, like, the way they say it or, like, something like that usually, right? We or... don't do that as much. We would try to make it very content-driven um, or maybe, like, do a diversion to, like, a pop culture reference. We, we did sometimes uh, clown on the people within the video themselves, yeah. but not as often. It is it is like a weird thing though because you don't you actually you're right you don't think about how much is like of like the the the, the clips from the news yeah and then to think you have to like okay so I need a joke based off of this clip that's like not funny that's like yeah that. yeah and and sometimes that would be a problem of like you wouldn't have you'd have a sot that like said the story but. <clears throat> <clears throat> maybe the the anchor had like weird phrasing and it's hard to like figure out what she meant and like mm. stuff like that gets in the way of your comedy which you're like why aren't you cbs anchor say it in the <laughs> way that makes the joke funniest <laughs> how dare you and so uh once you get like all the research done you have everything in front of you uh is it like a pretty simple I mean, it's difficult but is it like a simple process of just like writing up the yeah that's definitely we always thought that was the hardest part is sort of the outline yeah um and making sure the story flows in a way that will tell the story but also be funny but then it then it just becomes jokes insertion yeah. and you know we were tough i mean i think we were hard on each other like if things didn't get a laugh like you had to redo it but that said you know we can always generate more and we would rewrite them all together and pitch things so mm-hmm. um at the end of the day, I think it's a really funny show. Check it out on BET.com if you haven't. Um, there's a lot of jokes in the show. And with, with a lot of these shows, you kind of – is there a worry sometimes of, like, getting the claps over the laughs? For me, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't like that. Um, yeah, and it's it's just kind of lame. Um, I, I think we really tried to be funny. For sure, there were times um, that we did get some claps, and I think they were earned. Um mm-hmm. Robin had a big thing, uh, kind of went off on R. Kelly and like why right, people yeah. still protect him. And that definitely got some claps, but like she, not a lot of people are saying that she was sort of the only person saying that. So to me, the lame claps come when like, it's like Trump is dumb. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah, we've, we've heard that. We know. Yeah. Donald freaking drill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just saying, yeah, that's the worst is like cadence humor. Just yeah. saying something in a weird voice and being <laughs> like, that's a joke. Um, what's it like writing for like a, a woman host rather than a man? Uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it was interesting. This job was super cool in that our head writer was a woman, um, woman of color. Our host was a woman of color. And our four co-EPs were all women. Um, so the weirdest part was seeing your boss in the bathroom, which doesn't happen to women that much. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, this is where I go to hide from people. <laughs> You're here now. Okay. Um, uh, but it was great. And it, it was Good. You know, I think one thing about the rundown, whether from a female perspective or I can't totally speak to um, the black perspective, but I, I think that one thing um, – I can't totally speak to it. No, I can't at all, by the way. <laughs> if you're not seeing me, I'm white. But uh, something everyone liked about writing for Robin was that you could reference something that was true to your life and know that it would at least – be considered and not like thrown out. Like no one knows what that is. No one knows what that girl thing is. No one knows what that black reference is, mm. you know, which is strangely like still common. Right. Yeah. Shows. I wrote for this web thing, which like I won't plug. And also I think it would be impossible to find, but I had this joke about makeup and the director was a woman and she liked it, but this like EP didn't like it. And I was like, he took it out and also didn't replace it with anything. So it was like, <laughs> You'd rather not have a joke than have a joke about makeup. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did did you having like a sketch background help you uh, with the show at all, or did it did it affect it in, in any way? I think so. I definitely think I, I look at things through the valence of sketch in a lot of ways of just like that simple UCB form of like what what is our game? What is our sort of one idea? Even if it's a monologue joke, I think you can help yourself if you're stuck on like what the punchline is going to be even just thinking it through of like well what's the idea like what's the funny idea mm. what's the unusual thing um uh yeah so i think so i think that definitely pervades everything that i do and uh what's it like like, like writing political comedy during you know this time i mean it's definitely hard because to, again, use sketch, there's multiple games going on right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of can be hard to isolate and like what is funny and like what do you really know? Because it also feels like we have such misinformation is a big problem. I think mm. we've encountered that a lot of like, well, what do we really know about this story? Really? We know what we as friends might think is going on um, as people that are politically left and like joking around together. But what, do we, what can we go on television and say, okay, this is for sure true and this is what's funny about it? It's, it's actually that part is pretty difficult, I think, mm. just actually getting the story straight. Um, I think, like, another difficulty is just, like, when we were pretty cognizant, we would watch the other shows and make sure we weren't doing the exact same story or definitely not the same take. Um, but, you know, just the, the crowd is hard because it feels like everyone's saying oh. the same things. Right. So yeah, how do, how do you like get, get around that? I think we would try to do specific uh, stories that were most relevant to the audience of the rundown with Robin Thede, which tends to be black female. Mm -hmm. So extrapolating from that, obviously everything that affects everyone affects black women. So you know you can do a story about healthcare or the teacher strikes or whatever. But also if something was more specifically like of interest to that demographic, then we would definitely grab onto that because right. that gives us the distinct point of view. Mm. And what's something that surprised you about working on a late night show? Hmm. I think a lot. That's why I'm stumped. Not, <laughs> not because, um, nothing. I knew everything going into it. <laughs> um, I think how much of a live performance it really is actually when you're taping. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, um, and how much like we had the most amazing staff uh, from our stage manager, April, to like everyone, like how much if they had not been good at their jobs, the show would suck. Yeah. <laughs> like it is all at the end of the day, you're cultivating like a live show. Robin does the show for 200 people um, and they see the whole show. I mean, there's nothing it's edited obviously later and put together in a different way, but they're seeing it. And so their reaction is probably not too different than the viewer at home. So mm -hmm. you're really, you're seeing what people think of the show. Right. And they're, well, but they are kind of primed a little bit. They are, they're more enthused, but they, 
it, it cuts both ways because they're excited to be there. They're obviously fans. They're yeah, like yeah. not random people. Um, but at the same time, like maybe graphically, they don't see everything exactly how it's going to be mm-hmm. at the end. So certain punchlines might fall a little flatter. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like I think the jokes that people loved at home were the ones people reacted to in, right. you know, in the room as well. Yeah. What would you like to be doing next? I would, um, well, I'd love for the rundown to come back. Hopefully we get season two. Um, but I would love to continue with late night and sketch comedy. Um, after this, I'm going to go try to work on a pitch for my own sketch show. So awesome. hopefully, you know, by the time this airs, it'll pro- I'll probably have sold it and it'll yeah. be on air. So look out for that. In two weeks. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Uh, okay. So we're going to wrap up, uh, with you giving your thoughts on a sketch pitch. I oh, have. right. Great. Right. Awesome. Uh, oh, this one's really half-baked. Oh, good. This one's like, I think this is funny, but there's not enough to it. So here you go. Mm-hmm. So you do that show, um, uh, Bizarre Food mm-hmm. with a- Andrew Zimmerman? Yes. So it'd be like that kind of show where the host supposed to eat like this bizarre food. Uh, but every time the food comes out, he's like, this, this, like, it's like a scorpion. Like, this is, this is too crazy. I think like, <laughs> this could really mess up my stomach. I actually, I don't think I can eat this. So he doesn't ever eat <laughs> he it? He doesn't eat it. That's all. That's the, that's it. I think that's it's either too anti like comedy or anti like action maybe. You have a hard yeah. I was gonna say you have a hard time with someone not doing something. Yeah. It's hard to heighten. Um. So is it that like he his idea he's like the new guy and his idea of bizarre food is very tame or something maybe. Yeah, is I mean, it? there's maybe something look like you know like the people make fun of like I guess white people in general. Yeah. So maybe there's something there, but I'm like you know I'm a white guy. I'm the yeah. whitest guy alive. So I don't know <laughs> if I can do that. Um, it could be, it could be you're the host now and it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. It could be a blackout sketch, I guess. I think that would might Oh yeah, like, really quick. Where like, like they unveil like the scorpion and you're like, they describe it for like a minute and then the yeah. guy's like, no, pass. Yeah. Won't do it. Yeah. I like that. I, that could, probably, that could work. Maybe that's like a thing. Is that like a thing maybe for those ideas that they just have to be really quick and short? I think so. Cause my, my, my initial thought was just like, I don't know how you heighten that. So yeah. then that could just be a blackout sketch. Um, bizarre foods. What is the appeal of bizarre foods in general? Like the show, um, like, I guess it's like, it's, I guess you're seeing weird stuff and then the guy eats it, I guess. Yeah. And he's like, I guess it's good or bad, I guess. I guess it's all like, it's all food though. Like it's something it's, someone eats in yeah. some culture. Mm-hmm. That could be another sketch on it of like someone from whatever culture he goes to comes to like America and has to eat like tater tots or something. Oh, and that's they, like bizarre foods. Yeah. Okay. I like that too. Like, um, something like that might be disgusting to them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Uh, anything you want to plug? Um, I have a show, uh, ongoing call uh, hopefully ongoing called getting into it with bits and bricks with lauren brickman we're gonna host um like a pop culture ted talk kind of thing uh, i also have a show called womaning at the ucb east so look out for those you can find everything at katebits.com c-a-i-t-b-i-t-z.com all right cool thanks for coming to the show thank you And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.